Why don't you turn with me in your Bible, if you would, if you have Bible, just grab a Bible, grab your neighbor's Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter one, and then Isaiah chapter seven, Matthew chapter one, and Isaiah chapter seven. And for the last few weeks, uh, we have been in a series of messages uh, called the God of Christmas present, the God of Christmas present. And um, it's, it's how many have been encouraged by, by this series? It's been a good series. And, and we have, um, we've been talking about the fact, and this was really the, the heart behind it, what I felt like God had put on my heart was to talk about the fact that, that God is with us, no matter what the circumstances may look like, that God is with us. And so that's what we've been talking about. Before we go any further, can we just welcome those watching online? We say Merry Christmas to you guys, no matter where you're watching, whether it's in the state of Texas or beyond or somewhere else. Merry Christmas. So glad to have you. Um, but, but we've been talking about the fact that God is with us, no matter what it looks like. And I just felt like as we enter in the, the, the holiday season, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it is, is a season full of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude, but it is also sometimes uh, a season that, that reminds us of challenges and difficult situations. And sometimes the holidays can be hard and, and because of loss or because of situations or strained relationships or tensions, uh, it can be challenging. And I just felt like what the Holy Spirit wanted to remind us was that God is with us no matter what it looks like, that he is the God of our Christmas present. This whole series was really based around the idea not only of what God was speaking in my heart, but it was really based around the movie A Christmas Carol, or really the book A Christmas Carol. In 1843, Charles Dickens wrote, it just took him six weeks to write A Christmas Carol. It was his third Christmas-themed book that he wrote, uh, and he actually wrote it to challenge um, Britain's attitudes, Britain's social attitudes towards poverty and those who were struggling financially and the homeless. And, and so he had visited one of the schools for impoverished children or homeless children. And it so pricked his heart that he went and wrote a Christmas carol. And it centers, of course, around Scrooge, this Ebenezer Scrooge guy who, 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 who was very wealthy, but was too concerned about finances, was very greedy. And, and we see the transformation of Scrooge, which he has visited them by, all right, Christmas trivia, how many ghosts? Four ghosts. This, ever, this is on the test, guys. If you go to a Christmas party, let me help you with this. They're going to ask you, how many ghosts? And you got to count Jacob Mark. That's the first one. That's the first one right there. Got all of you. Anyways, first one. And then the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And, and each of these um, ghosts show him his life and, and his attitudes and decisions and, and what was important and, and bring him to the present and then bring him to the future, saying if, if there's not repentance, and, and repentance is just changing the way we think, changing really our mind about some things. If there's not repentance, then this is how your life, your life's going to go this way. And so the whole idea is with repentance, your life could go a different way, not only your life, but the lives of those around you. And in a way, in a way, that's pretty much my, my objective in this series is to say, hey, if we could see that God was with us and God has been with us 
and God will be with us, would it give us a faith and a confidence that it might change how we engage the future? Like, could there be that shift in our minds? I know it's Christmas and you're not supposed to really try to dig into people's souls and get them to change their minds. But, but if I could convince you that maybe God is with you no matter what and God will be with you no matter what, would it maybe change the way you engage life from here on out? And so, so in like kind, that is really the heart behind this entire series. And that's really what brings us to Matthew chapter 1 and then Isaiah chapter 7. Our text has been the whole time, verse 23 from Matthew chapter 1, where where the angel is speaking to Joseph and quotes Isaiah. And what I'm going to do today is we're going to read the context of, of of that statement that God is with us. We're going to read that in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not wanting to make a public example, and he so he was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for, for, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So here is quoting the prophet Isaiah who prophesied this 700 years prior. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name. Everyone say it. Emmanuel, which is translated. Everyone say it. God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name or he called his name Jesus. And so that, that's, that's where we see it in the Christmas story, if you will, in, in Matthew chapter 1. But if we jump to Isaiah chapter 7, then, then we actually get a different context. Same, same, same prophecy, um, same foretelling of the birth of Jesus, but we actually see some of the context around why, why he is known as Emmanuel or God with us. And so Isaiah chapter 7 and so here's what's going on. Uh, there's, there's a king. Um, his name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is the king of Judah. At this point, God's people were divided into two kingdoms. You know, Sol- there was Solomon. And then after Solomon, his sons divided the kingdoms. And so there's a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. Ahaz is the kingdom of Judah. Judah is the one we, we watch more closely. Why? Because Jesus was, was going to come from the tribe of Judah. He was a lion of the tribe of Judah. So the lineage of Jesus is going to come through Judah, which is in the southern kingdom along with Benjamin. And so, and so there's, there's Judah, and then there's the northern kingdom, Israel. And so there are actually three kingdoms to the north of Judah, Israel, Syria, and Assyria. Syria and Assyria, right? And Israel. And, and, and they are coming against or, or rumored that they're going to attack and try to take over Judah. And so King Ahaz, not known as being a strong or courageous leader, is freaking out. And so uh, Israel and Syria uh, try to make a pact with Judah saying, why don't you fight with us against us, Syria? 
But King Ahaz feels like Assyria is stronger, so he cuts a deal behind their backs with Assyria saying, hey, I'll give you some stuff if you will attack Israel and Syria and defeat them and leave me alone kind of thing. So this is the context of what's going on when Isaiah shows up at Ahaz's office in Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll read verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and says this, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that sounds spiritual, but we'll come to that. But we'll come back to that. Verse 13, then then Isaiah said, how now, here now, how now, brown cow, here now, (laughs) your house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord said to him, that I will give you a sign. And so here's the sign. So here's the context. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and, and will call him Emmanuel. And so there's a context. There's a context that, that this virgin birth is, is definitely all about the, the prophetic uh, bringing or sending of the Son of God. It's, it's, it's the advent of Christ. It's, it's the way that Christ comes into the world, this virgin birth. But the virgin birth, the first context, Isaiah chapter 7, gives us the first mention of this, a virgin will be with child and, and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And the context is that this is a sign, and it's a sign that God is with you, no matter what it looks like. And that's what we really talked about. We talked about the fact that God is the calm in our storm, and that he is Emmanuel in our battle. And he is the light in Shadow Valley. And so we've been talking over the last few weeks that, that this sign, this, this virgin birth, this, this title given to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is, is really a testimony in kind that God is with us. And he's with us no matter what we may face, whether it's three armies to the north or whether it's a diagnosis. Amen. That God is with us no matter what we actually face. And so with that, just three things, because obviously you would have to have a point for the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit on a Christmas service. You've got to acknowledge the Trinity. So I have three points. You can write these down. It might encourage you. They are very simple. This is the simplest of message because I didn't want you to have to labor or work hard. I understood the effects of, of high doses of sugar on the brain and how it starts slowing everything down. In fact, right now you're probably listening to me and you're hearing me talk like this because you've had so much sugar in so I understand that. And so make it very simple. The first thing that I want you to write down is this, is that God has been with you. God has been with you. Um, God has always been with you. And that's really, when, when you look at this sign, so, so, so Isaiah says, Ahaz asked for a sign and he won't do it. And Isaiah says, God's still going to give you a sign and he's going to give you a sign. And this is it. A virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel. God is with us. And, and really the testimony was this, Ahaz, God has always been with his people. It's a sign that God is with you now, but it's a sign that God has always been with you. And what he's saying is God's always been with Israel. In fact, when we read Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, this is God's promise to Israel. 
says the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And so he's saying, hey, has God, God's always, God's always been with you. God's always been after you. He's always been around you. Let me say it another way. God has always been close enough to touch if you just sought him out. Even when you haven't known him and even when you didn't know him and even if today that you don't have a relationship with God, you need to understand that, that God is actually still there. That your faith doesn't change his position. It just changes the awareness of it. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 17, uh, the Apostle Paul gives one of the, probably the greatest gospel, most creative gospel presentations in the New Testament. I love it. It's always been one of my favorites because he goes to Athens, Greece. And Athens, Greece was, was full of idolatry. There were idols everywhere. And Paul is walking through Athens and he's like, oh my gosh, these people are worshiping everything. And he comes to this place called Mars Hill and he finds this idol or this altar. And it says, here is this idol or altar to the un." known God. And Paul's like, here's my opportunity. This is the one God they don't know. And so instead of convincing them all the other gods are wrong, he just says, hey, there might be one other that you ought to investigate. And so he says, hey, this, this, this idol, this, this place of worship you have to the unknown God, I know him. Like Elf and Santa Claus, Santa, I know him, right? Like, I know him. I know this one and you don't. Let, let me help you. Let me help you understand who this one is. And he starts declaring to them who God is. And in, in, in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Look at verse 27, though. Check this out. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. Verse 28, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. He was actually quoting one of their prophets, but he made it gospel and it got in the Bible because he said, listen, 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 God is not far from any of us. He's close enough to touch if you'll just reach out and if you'll just search for him. Paul is saying, hey, you may not have realized it, but God's always been there. That's what he's saying. You may not even be of faith and you may not even realize it, but God has always been there. Right? Solomon said in Lamentations, he said, the steadfast, um, the steadfast love of the Lord never wavers, never changes, is unceasing, is constant. His mercies never stop. That is, that's what he said. Like God, think about that steadfast, un, unmoving, unchanging, undeniable, right? Not, not in response and reaction. The steadfast love of the Lord, right? Never, never fails, right? And God has always, always, always been there. In fact, Romans 8, Paul says something. He says that God, get this, this is kind of crazy. God actually subjected creation in futility. And basically, all that's Bible talk. Here's what it means. That God created us thirsty, but he made sure 
that living water would be all that would satisfy. That, that he actually, th- this is what, listen, God loves us so much, not only has he always been there, but he wants us to search for him. So what does he do? He makes us thirsty. Right? And he makes us thirsty where he's the only thing that's sad. In other words, God loves you so much. God loves you so much. He made it where money will never satisfy you. Position will never satisfy you. Relationships will never satisfy you. Substances will never satisfy you. These are all the things we run to. These are shopping will never satisfy you. Right? Food, right? You know, we we can't stay out of the cookie jar. It will never satisfy us. God God subjected us in futility in hope. Why was he saying? In other words, I made you thirsty so that I would be the only one that could satisfy. And then I made sure I was always with you so that hopefully you'd start figuring out that all these things you try to satisfy yourself won't actually, and you'll kind of feel around and say, where is the living water at? I got to have something else. And God loved you so much, he made you where he's the only thing that would ever satisfy. He's always been there. Now, now I know when you say something like God has always been there, because I'm a pastor and I've walked with people through very uh, trying, very difficult circumstances. And when you say that God has is, is always been there, I, you can almost hear the yeah, but. Yeah, yeah but. Like, like I hear you, preacher. I understand your theology, but I, I, but, 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 listen. I went through this thing. I had this happen. I lost this. I lost this person. I, I prayed, and it didn't turn out. And 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 so, w- where was he then? Like, like I hear that, and I think I think you have to address it. And here, here's what I would like to remind you in the context of this: is that a lot of times we as believers confuse presence and performance because the promise is a presence and we equate presence with performance in other words what what we're actually saying is because God failed to perform he must not have been there at all Right, and, and and we look back and we see what we went through, and it could have been abuse, or it could have been loss, it it could have been a very trying time, it it, it could have been whatever the brokenness, tragedy, whatever it was at the time, and we look back and we say, well, if God was with me, then then why did that happen? And we confuse presence with performance. I I, I know we we do. Uh, we have a value for what we call freedom ministry. And freedom ministry is really about discipleship and identity. But it's, we, we say freedom ministry is not when I stop doing stuff. That's religious ministry. Like Jesus wasn't focused on us stopping. L- look, through, look through the Bible and find any time where he started a sermon with thou shalt stop. Even the woman caught in adultery, because that's what some of you think. Well, the woman caught in adultery. No, 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 no. He said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, where are those that condemn you after he ran them all away? And then he said, I don't condemn you either. This doesn't sound like a stop it sermon. It sounds like let me by grace remove condemnation so that in new identity you can walk a new path. Because that was what the gospel was. And so Jesus wasn't in the stop it ministry. And, uh, and we don't have to be in the, in the stop at ministry either. And, and so, so I, I know though that we, we look into, we look into our past and, and we, and we say, you know, wait, wait a second, you know, God had been and God should have been and why didn't God and, 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 and we get stuck 
there. But, but remember the promise, the promise was presence, not performance. And, and in freedom ministry, um, when we're not doing the stop at ministry, but, but the grace ministry of identity and discipleship, there's sometimes we get stuck in a place like that. And many times we have. And I remember one time, uh, Julie and I were ministering to a lady and she'd endured some horrific things that no one should have to endure. And she was stuck there and that's okay. We get stuck at the traumatic points in our life. We get stuck at the pains in our life. We're, we're human. We, we need, our minds want closure and we're trying to figure it out. And, and so, but we have this, we have this comforter and this counselor called the Holy Spirit. And so we just pause and we said, you know what? I can tell you're stuck here. Um, why don't we ask God where he was when this was going on? Now this person looked at me like I'd lost my mind. And I said, I can, I can promise you he was there. You just didn't see him. And, and because of the pain you walk through, you assume because he didn't perform in a certain way that his presence wasn't there. Isn't this how Satan works in our life? Is, is he convinces us a lack of performance is always a lack of presence, right? And, and so, and so we, we actually um, just simply, hey, Lord, show us. And all of a sudden this woman starts weeping and broken. And of course, we're waiting and waiting and say, okay, what, what? what did you see? And she said, all of a sudden I saw where God hid me and I saw where things that were going to go worse than they did. And all of a sudden someone showed up and it was really God sending my aunt at this time or this thing happened at this time. And she said, all all of a sudden I realized while what I went through was hard, God, by his grace, was working the whole time in every situation. You see, we understand, we we say sometimes flippantly, well, God is in control. But what is he in control of? Because theologically, I don't think we really understand that. And I think it becomes Christian colloquialisms that that we find some half-hearted hope in um, by, by rolling it. Well, God's in control. He is in control, but let's just be honest. He's not in control of you. And he's not in control of the person that sinned against you. God is sovereign, which means he is the ruler of this universe. And it means that God will eventually get his plan to work. And God will work his plan through people. But God does not control people. He can't control you. You can't even control you. You've been trying to stay out of the cookie jar all year. Talk to me about some toll house. Jesus. Hey, man, for cookies. But you see what I'm saying? God's not in control of you. We can't even control us. And God's, listen, we, we live in a world where the forces of sin and death and free will are prevalent. And when that happens, people do what they do. They say what they say. And there is sickness and death that is all around us. And we need to stop looking at the brokenness and and making a a judgment that God is not with us. And we need to stop looking at the pain and saying that God isn't with us. We need to search for his presence. This is the sign of his presence. A virgin will be with child and call his name Emmanuel. There is a sign that says God has always been with us with me. How do you think you got here? You think you figured it out? God has always, always been, been with us. Um, Here's the second thing you could write down is that God is with you. 
God is with you. That's, that's really the, the whole context of, of this series of messages that God is with you. If you're in a storm, he's asleep in your boat <laughs> on a cushion. He, he's not sweating. He's, he's not concerned because he's already given you a promise. He doesn't need to say anything because he's already said something. This is not in my notes, which means I'm reading your mail. Somebody in this room, <laughs> I'm getting you between the eyes right now. I know, I know when it goes high and to the left, I'm like, oh, I found something here. He didn't need to say anything else. He had already said it. He said, let's go to the other side. He didn't need to get up and reassure them of anything. He was confident that whatever he said, his word would not return to him void, but it would accomplish the thing that it was sent to accomplish. And I think sometimes we're crying out for God to say something again and again and again when he says, I said it once. How many times do I need to say, if I've said it, I'm faithful to stand over it and perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need to say it again. And yet in his grace, here I am telling you, he's saying it again. God is, God is with, God is with you. In, in Isaiah chapter seven, the context, there's this King Ahaz and, and not, not known as the greatest king at all. Um, and so just in context, remember Isaiah comes to him cause he's freaking out and says, Hey, why don't you ask God for a sign? And he even says, you can ask him for the biggest sign, high or low, wherever you want this sign, right? Um, some of you have been like, hey, I wish God would sign me up for this deal, right? Like, God, you know what? If this is really what you said, I want a Lamborghini. <laughs> this is really what you said. I want a beach house in Malibu right now, Jesus. This is really what you said. I want you to move Hawaii down to the southern border of Texas and not, and not change the climate at all or the water or anything. And, and, and that way I just drive down there and go to Hawaii. That'd be awesome. You know, I mean, we, we would have just, I mean, God pretty much said, ask for anything you want. And, and in verse 12, Isaiah seven, this was his response in verse 12. He actually says, I will not ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Now that sounds spiritual because you're like, Oh man, Look at the, look at this guy. He's like, you know, God offered him a sign and he's like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to put God to it. I don't want to tempt the Lord. But but can I tell you the truth of the context? Um it wasn't that he didn't want to test the Lord. It was that he didn't want to trust the Lord. You know, sometimes we can come up with really stupid super spiritual excuses to not trust the Lord. And we can make it, so we can put a verse with it, right? We could put a verse with it. I, didn't Satan kind of tempt Jesus in this way? Like, oh, you're hungry? I see you haven't eaten in 40 days. Why don't you just speak to this rock to become, become bread? That's kind of a super spiritual thing. Like, you're the son of God, right? And, and so here, here, like he's given him a stupid super spiritual excuse to actually not trust God. And sometimes we actually come up with our own excuses to not, well, I'm sure God's got other things going. Well, you know, God's so big. Well, God probably doesn't care about. And sometimes we come up with some super spiritual excuses to not put our faith in God. And the truth of it was with, with Ahaz, the truth of it was he'd already cut a deal. He didn't want to ask God for a sign because he didn't want to trust him because he was too busy trusting in himself. 
He had already gone to the Assyrians and actually pledged people. He was going to sell some of his people into slavery and actually giving them money from his kingdom. He had already cut a deal saying, hey, if you'll leave me alone and you'll fight with Israel and the Syrians, just leave me alone. Here is what I... And so he had already cut a deal in his own effort out of his own hands. And so it wasn't that he didn't want to tempt the Lord at all. He'd already tempted the Lord. He just didn't want to trust him. It's like he got these mixed up, right? When you take it into your hands, you are tempting God. When you put it in his hands, you are trusting God. He had gotten these, but he made it sound spiritual, so it must have been okay. See, the truth of it was, here was the issue. The issue was fear. He was scared. And, and here is human response to fear. Control. Right? This is the way we respond. To, well, when I'm scared, if I can get my hands around it and I can make it go a certain way, if I can guide it the way that I want to guide it or, or make it turn out the way, or if I, if I can just get in there and manipulate the, the situation. And so usually when there's fear, there's control. And what we're actually saying when we take control is that we have more faith in our ability to control it than in God's ability to come through. It's actually what we're saying. That's what he said. You know what? It'd be harder to trust the God. It's what he's actually thinking. It, it would be harder to trust God than it would be just to trust myself. And when you do that, you take God's supernatural ability out of it. And you just get whatever you can do. And God's actually sending the prophet to say, listen, don't worry. I'm going to take care of all this. Just ask for a sign. In other words, here's what God's saying over and over again. Hey, could you just trust me? Could you trust me? And here's what we think. Here's what we think. We think it's hard to trust God. We do. We think it's hard to trust God when truthfully, trusting God is not about striving. It's about surrendering. It's not about striving. It's about surrendering. God is with us right now. That, that's not the question. The question is, are we with God right now? Or are we negotiating with the Assyrians? <laughs> right? Remember, remember uh, Joshua at Jericho. He, he, he runs into Jesus. It's a, it's a Christophany. It's Christ appearing in the Old Testament. But it's the, the commander of the Lord's armies. The angel of the Lord, commander of the Lord's armies. So here he is, Jesus. And Joshua says, are you for us or our enemy? And he said... Yes. Actually, he said, no. <laughs> Are you for us or them? No. <laughs> and, and, the, and the issue was, and that's why he said, Joshua, I want you to take your shoes off. Why? Why do you want to take? Because taking your shoes off was a symbol of slavery or, or subjection or surrender. Yeah. And he said, I don't need you to try to get me on your team. Just let it sink in. I know it's Christmas. I know sugar's slowing you down. Let it sink in. God's not saying, God does not need you to convince him to get on your team. He has a plan. And he has a strategy. 
His real only question is, would you like to join my team? I found that God will not join my team, but he will let me join his team. And I found out things work out better when I join God's team, right? And so there's ways that I can surrender. And we think it's hard to trust God when truthfully, it's not hard to trust God. The, the fight that we battle is not in the trusting God, it's in the surrendering of our control and our will and doing it our way and just trusting and allowing God to do what he wants to do. That's where the battle is. God is with you. Can I just say this? God is with you right now. The question is, are you with him? Because he has a plan and a strategy for whatever you're facing, whether it's a storm or a battle or a valley or something else. God has a provision for it. He's already given you a sign that he's with you. A virgin will be with child and call his name Emmanuel. Translated God. God's already said, I'm with you. The question is, are you with me? Are you with me? Because God doesn't need you to work hard. Isn't this the whole idea of grace in the New Testament? Grace in the New Covenant? The, the whole idea of grace in the new covenant is God saying, I want you to stop trying to earn it and just let me pay for it and you have faith that's enough. It's the whole concept of the, of the new and better covenant based on new and better promises is that God said the, the old covenant was all about our striving and the new covenant is all about our surrendering. To say, no, I can't be good enough. No, I can't do enough. I can't get to God. I can't make this happen. I can't perform that way. I can't even control myself. But he can give me a fruit of the spirit of self-control if I yield and surrender to him. God is with me. I have to be with him. And being with him is not about striving. Being with him is about... I wonder if there's an area in your life this Christmas that you have got your hands wrapped around so tight that your knuckles are white because you are determined that you're going to fix it. You're going to make it go the way you're scared to death. It's going to get outside of your grasp, outside of your control, not going to happen. And I wonder if there's a situation where you could just simply say, okay, God, I've been trying to cut my own deal with Assyria. I've been trying to make this work because I'm so scared of being hurt or disappointed. I'm scared it's not going to go the right way if I take my hands off of it. But wouldn't this be a great exercise in faith to say, I'm going to stop striving for what I want and start surrendering to what you want to do? Here's the third thing that you could write down. The third thing is that God will be with you. Pretty simple, right? God has been, God is, and God will be. God will be with you. I mean, this was the promise that we see in Isaiah chapter 7 is that God had been with Israel and that God was with Judah and that God would be. God would be. You need to understand that just the same way that God promises and God says that I've always been with you and the same promise he has right now that he'll never leave you or forsake you is the same promise that God says that I will forever be with you. It's what the cross was about. It's what the virgin birth was about, that God's saying, I'll always, I'll always be with you. Um, Psalm 139 verse 5 says, look at this, you go before me and follow me. That's a good God right there. That's a great sermon. If you're looking for one to preach, there's two points that can take you about three years to explore, that God goes before you and yet follows you. 
that he is Alpha and Omega. He is in your tomorrow and he is the God of your yesterday. That he goes before you and he follows you. And look at this, David said, you place your hand a blessing on my head. See, the promise that God is with you and the promise that God is the God of your future is actually the promise that God is already in your future. That God is actually going before you. He, he, he was with you, he is with you, and he's already in tomorrow. He's already gone. He, he makes a way. He's gone to prepare a place. He's making the crooked places straight and he's bringing the mountains low before you. That God is guaranteeing you safe passage. That, that God is saying no matter what you face tomorrow, I've already looked at it and it's not bigger than me. <laughs> that he goes, he goes before you. And that's really the promise that he had for Ahaz. Look, Ahaz, ask God for a sign. Why? Because he's not only with you, he's not only been with you, but God is already going before you. He's already promising that it's, it's going to work out. That no matter what you face tomorrow, God is already, he's already there. Isaiah 45 verse 2 says, this is what the Lord says, I will go before you. Here it is again. By the way, you can search this all throughout scripture. I will go before you, look at this, and level the mountains. And I will smash down the gates of bronze. And I'll cut through the bars of iron. Here's what he's saying. You can't face anything tomorrow that I can't get you through. And this is what I like. He didn't say, hey, the mountain you face tomorrow, I'll get you up it or around it. He said, no, 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 no. I'll smash it. The, the bars that try to bind you tomorrow, that's okay. I, I'll cut right through them. Right? The gates that are going to try to block you out tomorrow, no, no, I'll break through them. In other words, he's saying, hey, whatever you're going to face tomorrow, I'm already there and I'm already sufficient. And my grace is more than enough. And I've already looked at it and I can tell you, if you'll follow me, we're going to win. It's the same thing he's telling Ahaz, he's telling us that he goes, he goes before us. In fact, in Joshua Chapter 24, uh, there are these seven armies that, that Israel has to go against. It's kind of a cool story. And uh, wouldn't you like to be going against seven armies? They're, they're bigger, they're badder, they're, they're trained, remember? These are slaves that have been hanging, then they've been homeless in the wilderness, right? And now they're in the promised land, and they're going against people that were raised to be warriors. It could be a little, and now seven armies, and this is pretty cool because what God actually does is he sends hornets ahead of them. And the God who goes before you. He sends hornets ahead of them so that when they get there, there's no battle to fight because they all left. And then God says this, I'll give you land you didn't work for, cities you didn't build, and vineyards you didn't plant. And that's what I'm telling you is that he is the God that goes before you. That's what it means. He's the God of your Christmas present and the God of your Christmas future is that God is already in next Christmas. Here's what he's saying. Whatever you're going to face, I'll go before you. Whatever mountain you're going to look at, I'll go before you. Whatever gates, whatever bars, whatever nations, whatever battles, whatever storms, whatever valleys, whatever. You just need to know I've already gone before you and my ways aren't your ways. I have crazy ways of helping you win in life. It'll be someone you didn't expect, something you didn't anticipate, right? It'll be something that breaks through that you weren't looking for. God says, trust me because I'm better at this than you. Do you know why it's so easy to trust God with your future? Because he's already there. 
it's so easy to trust God with your future because he's already there. I, I remember um, this year I was thinking about this. And, um, and so since, I mean, since I was 18, really, or, or 19, when God spoke to me about this church, um, I, uh, I dreamed, dreamed about it, what it would be like and what we would do. And, and for me, since I was 19, my only thought was we, we got to take over the world. So maybe we just got to take over the world. I mean, this is the gospel. It's what we're called to do. Some of you believe it. Some of you are still getting there. That's okay. But we got to take over the world. And, and, uh, and so we finally got to the place where we, where we bought the 49 acres of land, and God just miraculously did that and in like 10 days paid for you know $700,000 worth of property. And he did it with like $400,000 left over. That's pretty crazy. And, um, and so that was a huge battle. And then we just sat and then it felt like, okay, God said, it's time, it's time for us to, to, to build, build a campus. And, um, and, and nothing against anyone, you know, um, or anything or any other church or how they do things. But, but I just had in my heart, we ought to trust God to pay for it. And, and it's not undone and, and people could laugh at me for even saying that. I remember I, I talked with a, a pastor in our city of a church larger than ours and, uh, and they just built a new facility and he was asking, so when are y'all going to build? And I, you know, I said, well, when, 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 when we do, <laughs> see, I'm not, I'm not in charge. I just work here. Right. Um, you, you don't want me to be the CEO of this church. We'll let God do that. And I'll just report to duty. And, um, and so, you know, and, and he said, well, well, what's holding you back? And I said, well, we, we want to do it, do it all cash. He, well, good luck. We couldn't do it. Okay. Not a competition. Um, just crazy, stupid faith. I don't know. I, I don't know what we're doing. And I remember in January, because we'd made the decision, okay, we're going we're gonna to launch Arise right after Easter. It's on the calendar. We're doing all the prep work. I was writing all the curriculum and videos, studies, and shooting all that stuff. And, and I just went back to God, and I said, God, I know that you've already gone before me. But, but we're about to take the biggest step that, just quite frankly, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible. It's, let me back up. We could easily go get a loan. That's not a problem. If, if we wanted to, we'd get a loan tomorrow for, for the rest of the money that we need. That's not a problem at all. Um, based on based on the fact we have no debt, and based on our financial strength, it would not be hard to get. And based on the fact that you know we we've already got a few million dollars in the bank, it would be easy to get a loan, and that'd be an easy way to do it. It would, and and we could do that, and and still God would get the glory. I feel like right. Um, but but I was like God, <clears throat> we we need seven point point eight million. Seven seven point eight million. We're a nine-year-old church with with about a you know 1.5 to 1.8 revenue per year. We 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 need we need 7.8 million in 24 months. That's a big number. Unless you got it, then it's not that big a number. <laughs> when you don't have it, a hundred is a big number, right? <laughs> oh, Benny, Benny can trip you up. And so I took a retreat day and I said, God, before I get really involved in leading this, I, f- I feel like this is the direction you're leading us. Before I get really, really far into this and make a fool of everybody, <laughs> including myself, I just need a word from you. And, and God, in, in my little uh, prayer place, he, he said, I want you to read Isaiah 41. And all of a sudden, I love it when God starts speaking out of his word. 
And, and I actually have it in my Bible. I actually have the date. Uh, it was January the 15th, 2018. And so I'm reading Isaiah 41, and this is the verse that all of a sudden just jumped off the page, and there was more, but it was verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel in the battle, and he's Emmanuel in the church building. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. And don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. Look at this, look at this. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And it felt like God was saying, this is what he's saying. I've already been there and I got it. I've already been there and I've got it. Now, we don't have it today. We're a few million closer today. That's nice. That's, praise God for that. Amen. And, and we're working right now. We're doing door schedules, which means there's like 8 million doors in this building and we have to go door by door. And so right now they're, de- they're designing that we had an AVL meeting. And so we're doing the preliminary AVL design. Um, you know, it's like a half a million dollars in audio, video and lighting. And, uh, and then, and then we're working on the door schedule. So we're working on the building still and, and civil still working on the final plat and all that whatever they do and then we're going to put machines out there and start tearing stuff up and but but I felt like when he said that like okay God because you gotta remember like now it looks a lot better than it did then in January it was like well God we got about $380,000 of the 7.8 million dollars that we need and now we paid all the stuff we paid and all the stuff we do we're holding a little over two million dollars still towards the building it looks a lot closer today. Yeah. It still looks impossible, but a lot closer. But this is, this is what God said. I, I've already gone before you, yes. and I've got it. And when you understand that God goes before you, I, I'll tell you. So, so May 5th, I have another verse right here. May 5th, 2018. That, that was the week we were about to, to do the commitments. Right? Because it's like we're about to find out if we can even, even dream anymore. And we put the wheelbarrows up here, remember? And, and a lot of our church, uh, most of our church made, made two-year commitments. And those people were seeing beyond themselves, beyond their own comfort, seeing that this, if, if we're just doing something for us, we just stay here. You know, I don't know anymore because four service is kind of a long day. And, um, and, so, and so the only thing I fear more than four is five. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But, but we, you know, and so, so, so much of our church was able to say, hey, we're going to be a way maker because we see this is about people like us that still need to be reached. This is about people like us that still need to hear the gospel. This is people like us that aren't here yet. And so we're going to go beyond ourselves. And so, so many of our church made commitments and has, have given sacrificially. But I'm sitting there like, God, we're about to go put the wheelbarrows on the stage, take it off. So I had another prayer day because prayer days are, are the sanity of every senior pastor. And, and so God said, I want you to read Psalm 63. And so Psalm 63, verse 7 is so cool. Look at this. Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. Look at this. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, do you remember what I read in Psalm 41, verse 10? I will strengthen you and hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then, and then in verse 63, David's having a moment and said, your right hand upholds me. Here God was once again saying, I've already gone before. It's going to be fine. I'm giving you a sign that you can trust me. I'm giving you a sign 
that I have been with you, that I am with you, that I will be with you. I was talking with a church planner, this young guy, planting a church, and 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 I got to know him, and uh, in in a meeting, and and uh, so we went to lunch the other day, and uh, really love his heart. He's going to uh, the Conroe area to plant a church, and and we were just visiting, and I I said, hey, I I don't really know anything, but I can tell you some things not to do. I've got a big list of what not to do. I don't know what works, but I can tell you what doesn't. And he said, man, I'd just love to have some time, pick your brain. So we, we met, and then I said, let's just build a relationship, went to lunch. And, and I was just talking with him, and I looked at him, and, and uh, he, he was asking me, I can't remember the question, I looked at him, and I said, you know, um, our church shouldn't even be here. And he said, why not? And I said, if I were to tell you all the ins and outs and all the things, I could build a case why it is absolutely an impossibility this church ever survived and made it to where it is. And I said, I like it that way because it's a constant reminder of me that this was never about me or my ability or what I could and couldn't do. That in a lot of ways, God immobilized me or or made it where my gift wasn't enough or what I had wasn't enough or what I could do wasn't enough. And every time he came through in splendorous, miraculous fashion. And, and I said, I'm grateful for that because when I look at what goes ahead, I know I'm not good enough to get there, but I know he is. And I said, it's proof that if God has been and God is, then God will be. If, if God did all of that and he's doing all of this, then he'll do all that too. Now I have to sweat it. I just have to make sure I stay with him. A virgin will be with child. This is the sign. This is the sign. This whole message is just about this. God's giving you a sign. It's the nativity on your coffee table. Right? It's the Christmas card with the nativity on the front of it. It's this service, but it's everything around this season. It's the silent night. It's the holy night. It's the go tell it on the mountain. God has given you a sign. Here is the sign. A virgin conceived. And they called him Emmanuel, which was God with us. And that is a sign. You can't look at a nativity. That's what I want you to If you look at a nativity, you look at a Christmas card, whatever it is, when you see the sheep and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the manger, when you sing away in a manger, I want you to understand that that's a sign not only to King Ahaz, but that's a sign to you that God has been, that God is, and that God will forever be with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Can you, why don't you stand, stand with me?